Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Evan with the message. Um, Well, if you don't know me, my name is Evan. I am a campus ministries pastor here at the Vineyard, um, which means I get to work with college students, which is an amazing experience. I love it. Um, It's it's a great time. It's full of adventure. And we have some college students being baptized next week. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's a good thing. Yeah, so... Um, so, yeah, it, it's good. Um, I missed being with you all last week. Um, my wife and I weren't here. We were in Philly to celebrate um, one of her friend's weddings, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but we didn't have a kid with us. It was glorious, and I missed him, <laughs> and I missed him, <laughs> but it was great. Um, we, stayed, uh, we stayed in Philly um, for a couple nights, and we celebrated the wedding Saturday night, and so on Sunday... We were on our way home, and because we didn't have a kid, we wanted to spend some time together. We wanted to, to basically go on a date. Um, and so we were trying to figure out what we would do. There's not a lot to do in Philly, but um, that was a joke. Um, but I thought one of the things that my wife and I love doing is shopping. I'm not, not going to lie to you. Some of our earliest like marriage dates were like, going to Aldi together and like slowly meandering through the aisles, looking at the different deals that were available. It's just, we like, you know, perusing. It's one of the things we like to do. So I suggested, I said, why don't we stop at the King of Prussia Mall? Has anybody ever been to the King of Prussia? Yes, we've had some friends. Yeah, King of Prussia. It is a massive shopping establishment. It is huge. It's like one of the biggest malls in America. I don't even know how many stores there are, but there's just so many of them. And they don't design it in such a way that you can like go from one side of the mall to the other and back and see everything. It's like a maze. So you like have to get lost in it in order to just exist. And so you're like come around a corner and you're like, "Uh, which way did we come? I think we've been here, but I also think we haven't seen that. So let's go down this way. And it kicks you out somewhere else. So you just, you could literally spend days there if you wanted to, Um, you know, if not for like security kicking you out at the end of the day. But so we were, we were there and we were wandering around and we had a couple hours. We wanted to be back by a certain time. So we had like, you know, two hours or so. Um, And, and as we were wandering around, I, I began to sense this desire in me. And, and that was a desire to buy something as one should experience in capitalist America. Amen? Amen. So I'm walking throughout the mall, and I sense this desire. And this is not a new desire. This isn't something I just became aware to. In fact, I am a long-time shopper. I enjoy shopping uh, very much. I remember being a kid, and like for one of my birthday parties, I asked my mom if she would just take me shopping so they could buy toys that I wanted. Um, It was great. And so, but, but something is different about me now than has been in the past. You see, I used to be just a buy-it-all kind of guy. I love like thrift shopping. I love being able to go in and find the best deal and find the, like the cheapest stuff. I love like stockpiling. You know, I used to go to the, the first stop shop place down here. Sometimes they would have stuff for like 19 cents and I'm like, I'm gonna buy 40 of these. And it's like taco seasoning. So you're like, I have, I have an endless supply of expired taco seasoning. Um, but, in recent years, I have decided to become a minimalist, okay? It is, a, it is something that I have discovered in my life that I desire, and that is to have less things in my house and less things in my life and to create more space for me to actually experience life rather than constantly organizing my taco seasoning. Um, and so in a day and age gone by, I would have gone through and just looked for the best deals and just bought stuff. And I would have left with bags of stuff and be like, yeah, I feel good. But it's king of Prussia, so there really isn't much that's like a deal. Like it's, you don't go there to like thrift shop. It's not the place for that. Um, but what's cool about being a minimalist is that while I can't spend, or I can't buy a lot of things for a little bit of money, I can buy a few things for a lot of money. You know, it's like I'm spending the same amount. It's just a different amount of stuff, okay? It's really cool. I love it. Um, So as I was walking around King of Prussia Mall, lost amongst the the Starbucks and the Teslas, um, I found myself looking for that thing 
that thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't a specific thing. But I have this like list that exists in my life. Some of you may have this list of like, here are a couple things I would like to upgrade. You know, I would like this new pair of shoes maybe and some shirts. And if I could find some random digital device that would make my life easier. You know, that's like this list of things. And so I'm, I'm wandering around the mall looking for that thing that I felt was going to satisfy me in some way, shape, or form. And as, as the time ticked by, I realized we were going to have to leave soon. I hadn't found anything, and I was really hungry, so I had to eat. And as I ate, I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to leave here with nothing except my Chinese leftovers, which was not what I was really looking for. And I did. I left. And I didn't, didn't have any bags. I wasn't holding anything. I hadn't found what I was looking for. And so I walked out of the mall, you know, hands in my pocket, kind of dejected, and I, I told my wife about this existential thought process that was going on in my brain, and she nodded because she knows me at this point. She knows this is what shopping is like for me at all times. She's like, yeah, you just think too much, but it's okay. And as I have reflected on that experience throughout this week, I have come to understand that there is a lie at the heart of that thought process. You see, the lie that I have believed to some degree is that if I just had this thing, I would be satisfied. I think we all have this same thought process. I don't think I'm that weird when it comes to this. I'm, I am fairly certain that all of you at one point or another in your lives have have looked for something or longed for something and, and in the deepest recesses of your humanity have thought or felt, if I only had that thing present in my life, I would be good. Like, anybody, anybody have this? You're just like, I think, I think I would never need anything else again. If I just had that vacuum cleaner, my house would be infinitely clean. Or, you know, if, if I could just, this planner, this is it. This is the planner that is going to fix my life. We've all had these things, right? And we don't say it. We don't come right out and tell people, I have the planner that's going to fix my life. We just talk about how great it is and how wonderful our life is now that we have that thing. And practically, we believe that if we have it, we will be satisfied. And this lie is just like the lie that was told to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's a half lie. It is a half truth. We do find some satisfaction in the wealth of this world. There are things that make our lives easier. There are things that bring us joy and pleasure. But the difference is that there is no lasting satisfaction in these things. It is all fleeting, a chasing after the wind, to use the words of Ecclesiastes. I think we all have closets that have things in them that were the thing and are no longer the thing and are now in the closet because we had to make space for the thing that is right now. Am I right? I know I am. I have lots of closets, but I'm a minimalist, so I'm getting rid of stuff. It's great. Despite this endless pursuit of satisfaction, the majority of people in our country still chase after wealth and the ownership of things. According to shiftprocessing.com, where I found some of these stats, the average American household mortgage debt is $189,000, with a total of $9.44 trillion owed in the U.S. Student loans are a close second at $46,822. The average auto loan debt per household is $27,800, so almost $28,000. And the average... uh, Credit card debt per household is $5,135. 
If you add those up, the average American household has spent around $270,000 on acquiring wealth that, in fact, they don't own. The bank does. $270,000. Now, I know this is probably not realistic for many of us. We, we probably aren't, you know, you know, most of you aren't sitting here with $270,000 in combined debt in your life. Some of you might be, and that's okay. I would love to talk to you about that. But some of us have lots of other debt. We have, we have gone out of our way to acquire things, and to do so... We have given away a part of ourselves. We've said, you know what? If you give us that thing, we'll pay you back eventually. And so, in essence, we have sold a part of our lives off to own these things. This is America, friends. This is part of the culture that we live in. There's a provocative scene in the movie The Wolf of Wall Street where the title character is listing the drugs that he consumes on a regular basis. But after doing a line of cocaine, he holds up a $100 bill and he admits of all of the drugs under God's blue heaven, here is one that is my absolute favorite. We chase wealth. Our culture chases wealth. It has become fascinated with the pleasure that worldly wealth seems to provide. And as a result has fashioned it into an idol to bow down to. And many of us who follow Jesus have done the same. You see, this isn't just a bad habit. This isn't just us spending a little bit too much. This isn't just us having a little extra clutter in our homes. This is a cosmic question of who we serve and worship. Do we follow the one true king, or have we sacrificed at the altars of wealth and consumerism? Despite the allure of wealth, deep down I think that most people know the fruitlessness of worshiping it. They know that wealth is hollow and unable to truly satisfy. Psychotherapist Clay Cockrell has earned himself a reputation as the therapist to the super rich. You may have heard of this guy before. Um, he wrote a, really, a couple of really interesting articles. And what he's found is that um, many of the billionaires that he works with um, many of them have trust issues. They lack a sense of purpose, and they struggle with shame, guilt, and fear. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm glad you're here, Eleanor. I'm glad you're in this service. Thanks for being here. So it turns out that wealth isn't actually the solution to all of our problems. No matter how much we worship it, no matter how much of it we pull in, it leaves us the same as many of us feel now. We think if I just had enough, then all of these problems would be solvable. And many of the problems we have might be solvable with this wealth, but it turns out they just create new ones or exacerbate old ones. But into this mess walks Jesus of Nazareth with an invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Through this series, we've been looking at how 
spiritual disciplines or the practices of Jesus are the doorway towards a life worth living, how they uh, enable us to live life and life to the fullest. And as a part of Jesus' larger invitation to the kingdom of heaven, he invites us into a new way of relating to wealth based on the practice of generosity. Today, we're going to look at how that practice exposes and resists the idolatry of wealth and forms us to trust in God's abundance, goodness, and generosity. And we're going to do that through the story of the rich young ruler found in Matthew 19. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. There is some up in the front if you want to run up and grab one. It's also going to be on the screen behind me, which is the magic that the tech team got ready for me at the last second. You guys are awesome. Um, and, and before we dig into that, I'm going to pray again because it's the word of God and I like to, you know, make sure my heart is right. So Holy Spirit, come. Father, as we dig into your word, um, as, I, um, as I seek to understand and explain this text, God, would you be ever-present? Um, would your word speak for itself? Would you speak through it? And God, would you leave us no confusion? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 19, we're going to start at verse 16. Jesus has been preaching and teaching at this point about the upside-down nature of his kingdom and how what most people expected the coming Messiah to look like was actually contrary to his true nature. And we're going to understand more of that here. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV, and that should be what's on the screen behind me. And behold, a man came up to him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. The man said to him, Which ones? And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All right, let's break this down a little bit. Jesus is preaching and teaching about this upside-down kingdom. And Jesus just has a way of attracting people. People just show up. You know these people. You're just, like, attracted to them. Jesus is like that times a thousand, okay? As he's preaching and teaching, people are coming from all over the place to hear what he has to say. People from all different walks of life. And this young man, this rich young ruler, so Potentially, I mean, definitely wealthy, rich, potentially um, uh, a Pharisee or, or somebody who has great respect for the teachings of the law, um, the, the Jewish customs, um, and, and maybe a ruler of some sort. So this is a person who has things pretty well together in our eyes. This is, this is the guy. He comes to Jesus and he asks this question, what good deed must I do to inherit life? And Jesus' response both challenges the man's assumptions and points him towards the commandments. Why, why, are you, why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who's good. Keep the commandments. It's a pretty straightforward answer, you know, especially for Jesus. <laughs> he's often confusing in his answers, and he's just like, keep the commandments. You know that. And, and what I find interesting is the young man could have walked away. He could have been like, oh, 
Okay, cool, awesome. I'm going to keep the commandments, and then I'll have life. But the young man isn't satisfied this with, excuse me, the young man isn't satisfied with this response. And so he presses in. Which ones? There's lots of them. Which ones do I need to keep? Um, we don't, again, we don't know, we know some about this young man, but don't, we don't know a lot. So we don't like know where his mental, emotional self is when he comes to Jesus. But clearly he is looking for something. He has some sort of desire that he is longing to be fulfilled. Which ones? Jesus' response is again interesting. He gives a summary of the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is really a summary of of kind of the big ones. The, uh, it's interesting because um, these, all of these commandments that Jesus mentions in this section relate to the treatment of other people, how we relate to other people. In other places, Jesus points to love of God first, then love of neighbor. Uh, but the Ten Commandments also breaks down this way as well, where um, the first five deal with love of God and the second five deal with love of neighbor. Um, and again, it's interesting because he doesn't name any of the commandments relating to worship of God, um, but I think that's intentional. I think Jesus really knows what's going on in this young man's life, and he is teasing it out. He is, he is trying to set this stage for this teaching. And so he points to all of these commandments about love of neighbor. And he, he's building up to a moment, and he says, do these things. Here's the things you got to do. Again, a straightforward answer that the man could have said, oh, okay, yeah, good, great, thanks. I'm leaving. And he says, I've done all these things since I was a kid. I've, I've kept all these commandments. Even more reason for him to be like, oh, great, I'm good then. See ya, thanks. I've got life. But he doesn't. And this is, I think, the key to understanding the posture this young man approaches with. He's like, I've kept all these. And he asks a really, really important question. He says, what do I still lack? What am I missing? There's got to be something. There's th- what do I need to find life? There is something in this young man that he seems to have done it all, but, but something is missing. His question betrays his soul to a degree. What am I missing? And I think this is, in, in my opinion, Jesus up to this point has kind of been, you know, doing a little dance. You know, he's, he's kind of meeting this guy where he's at. And, and he's giving him some kind of like off-the-cuff answers. I think maybe to see if he would just walk away. Maybe he's like, yeah, do these things. And the guy might go, oh, okay, great. And Jesus would know he's not serious. He's really not serious. But he's, he's pressed in twice now said, what, what is it? And I think at this point, Jesus, I can imagine his countenance changing. I can imagine his whole being. And I, I mean, I, sometimes I like to imagine things that aren't in the text, not because I want to rewrite the Bible, because it helps give some life. I want to imagine like these guys are walking on the road, like maybe they're walking around and Jesus is doing some teaching and this guy comes alongside him. He's like, hey, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's like, well, you just keep the commandments and you, you know, yeah, yeah, what, like just keep the commandments. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 but like, but like, which ones? And Jesus is like, well, you, you know the commandments. Like, love your, love your mother and your, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor, yada, yada, yada. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I've done all that since I was a kid. But like, what do I still lack? And I can imagine Jesus just stopping. And everybody is like, stopped. And he looks at the guy. And he leans in and he says, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Scripture says that when the young man heard this, 
he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus delivers hard truth to the young man. I believe Jesus has known all along where the young man's problem lies, but he needed him to see clearly that his wealth is the last thing standing between him and God, him and life. It has become his idol, the thing that he worships above all else. And in order to find life, he must surrender it. The invitation to surrender his wealth was too much for the young man to bear. The invitation exposed what he really worshipped. And he found himself unable to enter the fullness of the kingdom. What really strikes me is that the young man went away sad. He didn't gladly choose his wealth. He didn't say, oh, well... Well, no, I like that better. I'm good. Like, thanks anyway. He went away sad because he knew he was missing out on something. But he couldn't bring himself to let go of what he already had. Now, what I'm not suggesting is that wealth is terrible and that every Christian should be poor. Okay, that's the, the thing that we often pull out of this passage and, and, and walk away with. It's not what I'm getting at. I have very intentionally pointed to the idol of wealth and not simply wealth as that which must be resisted. In this story, Jesus drives to the heart of this young man's problem. The Bible is not about us, but it is for us. Jesus isn't talking to you in this passage. He's talking to the rich young ruler. But the story is here so that you might hear it and hear the voice of Jesus in your own life. He isn't making a declaration for everyone for all of time. I am not telling you to leave here, sell everything you have, and be poor. Please, don't do that, unless Jesus is telling you to. The invitation of Jesus is so that we can expose the idol of wealth and deal with it. In fact, I think the invitation of Jesus can be applied to any area of our lives to determine our idols. Are you willing to give up your money, your car, your house? Are you willing to give your time, your career, your lifestyle? The answers to these questions reveal that which holds the most value in our lives. You've likely heard the saying, I can tell you what matters most to you if you show me your calendar and your checkbook. It can be said that I can tell you what you worship based on where you spend your time and money. Where are the places that you found you're unable to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ? I'm going to be honest with you guys. Right now, for me, it's cable television. We subscribe to a streaming service every fall. I had the name in here earlier, but then I decided I didn't want to give them any free advertising. So we subscribe to a streaming service every fall for the sole purpose of watching football. Mm. Football. I love football. I really do. There's something about it. It's just fantastic. I love Saturdays spent watching college football, um, and you, you you know I'm going to be at home this afternoon. Hopefully my kid is going to be asleep, fingers crossed, and I am going to be watching a Steeler game and praying a lot. They're going to need it. And since I've started playing fantasy football, 
and I've, I've, I've dragged Derek into this mess now too. So, But since I started playing fantasy football, I've started to watch like the Monday night games in their entirety and the Thursday night games in their entirety. So I'm staying up way too late watching football. What I've realized though is that the enjoyment of God's good gift of football can become an idol for me. That I can spend a lot of time and a lot of money on this thing. And so I have asked myself, should I cancel my streaming subscription because of how it shapes my love? How it shapes my character? How I spend my money and my time? I have asked myself that question. And guess what? I haven't done it yet. I'm going to watch football today. I believe there is lots of grace as we wrestle with our idols. I believe that the call is to deal with them, but there is grace. I believe there is grace as we wrestle with our idols. But if you have submitted your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God is at work within you, there will be wrestling to do. If you don't think you have any idols, you need to wake up. Author C.S. Lewis famously once said that the human heart is an idol factory. We pump these things out. We are beings created to worship. Because of the sin that has corrupted us, we end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator who is worthy of that worship. And this is where I want to invite you to engage the practice of generosity. I told you at the front end that my wife and I went to a, a wedding last weekend um, in Philly. Um, and it was, without a doubt, bar none, the most lavish wedding I have ever been to in my entire life. I'm a pastor's kid. I have been to a lot of weddings. This was the bougiest. It was incredible. Let me tell you about it a little bit. Um, so we, it was in Philly. Um, how many of you are, are semi-familiar with Philadelphia? Yeah, okay, decent amount of you. So this wedding was in Franklin Square. It's like kind of a big deal, like kind of a big deal. So the wedding was in Franklin Square, and we stayed in the old city Marriott. If, yeah, so we, oh, yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah, yeah. We paid for the old city Marriott too, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we stayed in the old city Marriott. It was, it was phenomenal. We paid a stupid amount of money for some guy to park my car for me. It was wild, uh, but it was incredible. The place was beautiful. I mean, the hotel, it was, the, it was, it was just it was so nice. And, and they, they couldn't have a rehearsal at Franklin Square because there was another wedding happening there Friday night. So they had a welcome party on a boat from like the 1800s. Okay? It was this restaurant called Mashulu. I don't know how they want you to pronounce it, but that's how I pronounce it. I said, we're going to Mashulu. We're going to eat the food. Um... And it was, it was crazy. We, we had to like walk up. It was just, it wasn't like out on the water. Like we weren't sailing, but it was like on the river and it was like stationary. But we'd like walk up the gangplank to get up onto the boat and you walk in and the place is just, it's, it's like the Titanic, but above water. Like just incredible. Like we walked up these stairs and everything was clean and beautiful paintings on the wall and it was just well lit. And I was like, this place is amazing. And there's like people that work there standing there, smiling at you. I don't know how much they have to pay them to get them to smile, but they were, they were like, hi, welcome, we're glad you're here. I'm like, oh, you work in a restaurant, you're smiling? This is incredible. And so we got up to the upper deck, 
And uh, it, it was some Abby's friends, so I didn't know them super well, but I made friends with a couple of the husbands, and we were sitting there, and we all were sitting at this table, and then all the ladies went off to, like, you know, go talk to their friends or whatever, and so the three of us guys are sitting there, and they had an open bar, so we're just, you know, sitting there enjoying some drinks, and what we realized is we were sitting here, and there was a door not far behind us, which must go to the kitchen, because out of that door came well-dressed men with plates of food. And it was good. It was very good. There was like 20 different types of appetizers. 20! They were just, and they would just keep coming. They were so good, I learned the guy's names. I was like, dude, 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 what's your name? And he's like, I'm Solomon. I was like, Solomon, keep it coming. This is incredible. And they would just come out with these plates and they would be like, spicy tuna on crispy country rice? And I was like, yes, I want that. Give it to me. You know, or he's like, here, how about a Wagyu beef slider? And I was like, oh, Wagyu beef. Oh. They were so good, we started ranking them. I have a list on my iPhone. I can show it to you after this. The winner was bruschetta. Guys, it was cheese, tomatoes, and some green stuff on toast. And it was the best stuff I ever had. It was incredible. Guys, this was the welcome reception. We hadn't even really done anything yet. So we went to the wedding. And the wedding was fine. It was a good wedding. You know, it's weddings. Been to a lot of them. And then we went to the cocktail hour. Guys, they had four tables of appetizers. Can you tell I like food? Just picking up on that? Cool. I'm going to tell you more about the food. They had a whole table of Asian-inspired dishes. They had a table of Mediterranean-inspired dishes. They had a whole bar, a whole table that was like, like raw seafood. What do they call that? A raw bar? I don't like seafood, so that wasn't really me. But they had it. If you're a seafood person, it was there. And next to that was charcuterie. I do like me some charcuterie. It was delicious. Okay. And, and not to mention the open bar, again, behind us. And I was like, this is incredible. And guess what? More well-dressed dudes with more plates coming out. I'm like, guys, you got food there, 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 and you're now bringing me food? This is, this is ridiculous. Some dude brought me this little, this little lamb thing. It was amazing. It was cooked so well. I loved it. It was really good. That cocktail reception lasted two and a half hours. And normally I would be angry if I had to sit and wait for dinner for two and a half hours. But after two and a half hours, I was like, I'm kind of full. We have to have dinner now? And so we went back in the other room and we sat down and this dude comes up to me and he says, hello, sir, my name is Caleb and I will be taking your order. Would you like steak, chicken, or Chilean sea bass. I don't even know what that is. I do, actually. I just never ate it. I said, I will have the steak. He brought out filet mignon, friends. There's like a hundred. Yeah, yeah. Do you get the picture here? Are you, are you, are you picking up what I'm putting down? It's amazing. And that was one part of a four-course meal. They had a little course. They, they called it, you might know this, they called it an intermezzo. And it was this little sorbet that, that you eat to cleanse your palate. I was like, this is, this is crazy. And then the DJ started playing, again, open bar, you know. So we're just enjoying it. It was the best DJ I've ever heard in my entire life. My entire life. This guy, I, the, the, dance, the, the dance floor, you know how dance floors, like, people go on, then they go off. And then, the dance floor never emptied. It barely even thinned. There were people out there all night enjoying themselves. And then at one point, the guy was like, hey, they want me to let you know dessert is set up in the other room. And I was like, set up? In the I went back into the cocktail room, and all four tables had been replaced with sugar. I know! Are you feeling me on this? Anybody hungry yet? Four tables of it. It was incredible. It was the best wedding food I have ever had in my entire life. No offense to anybody else's wedding I have ever been to. I'm sure your food was good, but guys, it was amazing. But I want to tell you about the best part of the entire night. Are you ready for this? 
I was dancing, I was having a good time, you know, we were enjoying ourselves, and, and I'm very weird when it comes to weddings and dancing. I have very particular protocols for when I'm there and when I'm not, whatever. Um, but it was fun, I was having a good time, and I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to sit for a little while. I mean, we've been going at this for a while. I think I'm going to sit down for a little bit. And so I found a spot, and Abby was with friends. So I was just sitting there. I was reading some articles on football on my phone, and I was just sitting there. And some guys were, like, cleaning up tables, and I was just sitting there thinking to myself, this wedding was absolutely incredible. This, the food, the drinks, the decorations, this, like, this, this just couldn't get any better. And as I'm sitting there, this dude, he walks up, he walks up behind me with, with a plate, and he leans down and he says, would you like some french fries? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, sir, I would like some french fries. How did you know? And so I grabbed one of the little cups of french fries, and he said, oh, would you like cheese? And I said, yes. And he said, take that one. I put it back, and I took the other one. I sat there, I ate my fries, and I thought, they thought of everything. <laughs> they knew that at the end of this gauntlet of delicious food that I would be sitting at that table, tired, thirsty, and ready for a snack, and so they brought me cheese fries. So why do I spend, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes describing this wedding to you? Because, friends... This is the generosity of our God. It is the kind that we can't earn or repay. It is the kind that anticipates our needs and meets them in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Friends, our God is lavishly generous. Listen to the words of Scripture regarding God's character. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Or in Luke, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For it is with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Second Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Ephesians, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The book of James, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And Malachi, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Do you get the picture, friends? Now, it is not incredibly helpful for me to read off to you a number of passages without context and study, but I want you to see a picture of who God is through the entirety of the scriptures. He is a God who longs to be generous. He is a God who has been generous, is generous, and will continue to be generous to us. This isn't to say that God is a vending machine and is going to show up with french fries whenever you're hungry. But it is saying that the default posture of our king is generosity. He longs to be generous with us. 
We read in the creation story that God gives us the world. It's all given to us to steward and enjoy. And we read in Revelation that one day God will renew all things, and we shall once again rule and reign alongside him in the new heavens and the new earth. The return of Jesus is described as a wedding feast where God's people return to him as a bride adorned. And it shall be a feast, a celebration. The abundance of God will be on full display. And I certainly think that there will be spicy tuna on country fried rice. And it will be amazing. And while it certainly doesn't always feel like that right now, Jesus invites us to live into that new kingdom now, here, among us. Tim Mackey, one of the producers of the Bible Project videos, um, says on one of the videos, one of the most important ways we can experience the abundance of the new creation is by sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. So generosity is the practice of living open-handedly before a generous God, rejecting the idols of wealth and trusting that he will provide for our every need. And as we do that, we participate in God's abundance, his goodness, and his generosity. I want to invite you today to participate in the generous nature of our God. So what are we talking about? Offering is one of the ways that we regularly acknowledge the lordship of Christ over all things. We declare that all things belong to God and we're merely giving back a portion of what he's already given to us. It's certainly not the only way we can practice generosity, but it is one way that each week we can take some of what God has given us and give it back. And in doing so, we expose any part of ourselves that has idolized the wealth that we've been given. And we participate, we take part in, we join God in his generosity, trusting that it all belongs to him and that anything we give is simply giving back. And as we do that, we reject idols. We declare, this is not what owns me. This is not what defines me. Jesus owns me, defines me, loves me, provides for me. So a little untraditional, but we're going to take a second offering today. Not because we want to guilt you into giving more, okay? Let's be clear about that. But because... The application is the practice, okay? Generosity isn't just something we think about. It is something we do. If we hear the invitation of Scripture but don't change, we're like a person who looks in the mirror, sees that they are clearly in need of some hygienic self-care, and yet walks away and does nothing. This is an invitation to participate to practice. Practical notes. There's a basket in the back on a little stool. Okay? This is so that you can engage your body via worship, or engage worship via your body. If you need to get up and put something in a basket as a symbol of, I am rejecting the idol of wealth and I am giving it over to Jesus, that is there. You can also give online in case you're struggling with pride. If you're like, wow, I don't, I don't know if people want to, you know, if they're going to see me get up or not get up. What are they going to think of me? Yada, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. This is not about that, okay? We're not trying to create a spiritual hierarchy of givers, okay? 
If you're thinking about that, like, oh, I wonder who's going to get up. Guess what? You can give online at vineyardaltuna.org slash give, or you can text 843212-GIVE. So you don't know who's giving and who's not. Okay? <laughs> Jerry's laughing at me. She's like, he's getting feisty. It's true. <sighs> so if you're struggling with pride, or like me, you don't carry cash, but you want to participate, you want to practice, you can do that. Maybe it's not your money. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you've been holding your time a little too closely. There are QR codes on the back of the chair. Um, you can fill those out and join a service team. To give your, your time in service is to love and serve the body of Christ. Christ has said the church is his body. To give your time is to love and serve. You can give yourself. You are a being created in the image of God. Don't deprive this community of that. Join a small group by filling out the Connect card. And here's the thing, and I'm closing with this. Three lines on this page. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do any of this. Nothing that you do will make Jesus love you any more or any less. You are his beloved just as you are. So if you're wrestling with that, that is not of Jesus. Okay? This is simply an invitation to more of the life that Jesus offers you. As the worship team comes up, I want to give you some space to sit with this invitation. Again, this isn't about looking good or just trying to rake in a few more dollars for the church. This is about you responding to the invitation of a generous God to become more the person that he is inviting you to become. You can participate in any of these ways of giving as we close in worship. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.